We now have a few words from the Department of State's Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs, uh, Mr. Joey Hood. Mr. Hood has spent most of his career focusing on the Arabian Peninsula and the Gulf countries, uh, in addition to Yemen. Uh, he's been the Deputy Chief of Mission in Iraq, <clears throat> Deputy Chief of Mission in Kuwait. <clears throat> he served as the Principal uh, Officer at the U.S. Consulate General in Dhafran, and has also served as an acting director of Iranian affairs at the Department of State. Uh, we cannot have a more relevant American hands-on foreign affairs practitioner pertaining to the six-state GCC region that His Excellency just now addressed than Joey Hood, Mr. Hood. It's a pleasure to join you today as the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations marks its 30th annual Policymakers Conference. Congratulations, Congratulations on reaching this milestone. When I joined you at this event last year, I spoke about the enduring U.S. interests in the Middle East and North Africa and our efforts to advance those interests even as we face the challenge of an emerging pandemic. Much has changed in the past year, and I'll speak about that in detail, but our interests and deep commitment to the region endure. I'd like to begin with the broadest but perhaps most important point, which is the president's strategic vision for a more sustainable set of long-term relationships with our partners in the Middle East and North Africa. These relationships must feature an affirmative agenda, one that focuses on solving shared problems and building shared prosperity. Let me start with a timely example from COP26. The final communique included a call to move away from the fossil fuels driving the climate crisis. We can't achieve that goal without our partners in the Middle East and North Africa. The region is poised to be one of the region's hardest hit by rising temperatures, desertification, and drought. In fact, it's already happening. Countries in the Gulf are experiencing high temperatures that threaten to make outdoor life unlivable for part of the year. This past summer, several of the Gulf countries experienced multiple days with temperatures over 120 degrees Fahrenheit or 50 degrees centigrade. And climate change threatens to push that even higher. The effects of Syria's decade-long conflict are now also exacerbated by historic levels of drought that have decimated its food crops. Iraq recently announced that it would reduce its winter crop area by 50% due to significant water shortages. Navigating these hardships will require equitable solutions that only strong partners can provide. And together, our efforts can make progress. Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and, and others in the region have taken important steps to significantly increase renewable energy. 10 countries in the region signed on to the Global Methane Pledge. With COP27 in Egypt and, and COP28 in the UAE, we'll be working closely with both governments to ensure these summits produce meaningful, lasting commitments to protect our climate. These challenges are significant, but not insurmountable. And the United States will be there to support our partners so they won't face these changes alone. As we tackle the climate crisis together, we continue our decades-long effort to build the region's human capital. 
Over the last 40 years, over a million and a half people from the region have studied in American universities, and we're aiming for more. The Biden administration placed human rights at the forefront of our foreign policy, and with good reason. The states that will be best equipped to meet the challenges of our changing world will be those with resilient, inclusive governments that treat civil society as a partner rather than an enemy. This is why we're pressing governments to increase transparency and accountability, the clearest way to boost legitimacy because the people of the Middle East and North Africa have found their voice and they're not gonna give it up. Lebanon is experiencing an economic crisis of historic proportions, which has its roots in the endemic corruption and economic mismanagement that have plagued that country for decades. The Lebanese people deserve a government that's responsive to their legitimate demands for transparency and accountability. And we're directly supporting them, as well as the institutions critical to Lebanon's stability and security. In Tunisia, citizens have expressed their frustration with corruption and economic mismanagement. We expect President Saeed to articulate a transparent reform process that includes civil society and the full spectrum of political voices so that the government can address these legitimate grievances through democratic means. Promoting inclusive, effective governance and resilient states is a worthy goal, and these qualities will be vital for confronting both the security problems we currently face and the ones that lay ahead. Put simply, countries can't defeat COVID-19 or ISIS if they're too weak, unstable, or inward-looking due to their failures to build legitimate institutions. We are seeing important signs of progress. In Iraq, we recently welcomed the successful elections, which led to a rejection of external interference in Iraq's affairs. A long-term, deep, multifaceted, and strategic partnership with Iraq serves the American people. That's why we're investing in Iraqi institutions and a better life for the Iraqi people across the spectrum of shared objectives. Last week in Paris, Libyan leaders in the international community reaffirmed their support for elections in December. These elections mark the clearest commitment by all parties to end the conflict and respect the will of the Libyan people to build an inclusive, stable government. We're also capitalizing on the new opportunities afforded by the Abraham Accords. If you want a roadmap for the future, look to the joint ventures and $600 million in trade the UAE and Israel have launched this year alone. One of the most promising and exciting opportunities has been the launch of the United States, UAE, Israel, India partnership, which we're fondly calling I2U2, and which allows us to extend the benefits and success of our partnerships in the Middle East and North, North Africa outside the region. These foundations of deep partnerships based on an affirmative agenda is what allows us to address the region's challenges and mitigate crises as they emerge. Speaking of crises, let me emphasize, we have had a military presence in the region for over 70 years, and that fundamental reality is not going to change. As the threats and conditions change, we will adapt. So we have thousands of capable forces throughout the region, training and advising our partners to become more capable and self-sufficient. That's because the long-standing U.S. interests that have guided our policies remain.
Meanwhile, we're committed through diplomacy to ensuring Iran never develops or acquires a nuclear weapon, starting with a mutual return to compliance with the JCPOA. We will also continue to work with our allies and partners to address Iran's destabilizing behavior in the region and beyond, its threats to maritime security, and its ballistic missile program. Iran continues to exploit regional conflict and weak societies. Building stronger partners is one of the most effective ways to counter malign Iranian influence. As you see, as the world changes, our definition of security is changing along with it. The traditional security threats will remain and we will address them, but we can only confront the problems of tomorrow if we broaden our partnerships to incorporate the president's vision of pursuing our interests and values, including the protection and promotion of fundamental freedoms. Thank you once again, and congratulations on 30 years of successful conferences. Thank you, Mr. Hood. <clears throat> we couldn't ask for more. Focusing not only on your immediate areas of experience and expertise, but beyond to out of North Africa and the Eastern Mediterranean and beyond.